And I realized that the more I said no to those requests, the bigger my yes was to other things. Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 56 of A Congruent Life. My name is Andy Gray. Thanks for joining us for conversations with some pretty inspiring people. A Congruent Life is all about authenticity, and in particular, we share stories of reinvention, people who have the wherewithal to reevaluate what they're doing with their lives and then go forward in a way that's more congruent for them. One person with a great reinvention story is the inspiring Stephanie St. Clair. Stephanie and I discussed the plot twists that she encountered in her life, living an interesting life, becoming an expert at saying no, living agelessly, approaching businesses play, and a number of other great insights. Here's our conversation. I'm talking today to Stephanie St. Clair, who is a writer, a life guidance consultant, and the creator of a website called blissbombed.com. Stephanie, welcome to A Congruent Life. Oh, hi, Andy. How's it going? It's going great. It's going great. Fantastic day here in Central Oregon, and I am delighted to be talking to you today. Oh, thank you. It's mutual. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Great, great. Me too. You come very highly recommended by a number of people I trust, including Bertie Shung, who was a previous guest on the show. She had a very strong endorsement to you. So I'm really glad to be talking with you today. Well, thank you. I love Bernie too. She's doing great work. She is indeed. Well, let's just start, Stephanie, just kind of with the, the general introduction question. And just uh, how would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Well, I am from planet Earth. <laughs> there we go. Like a lot of us in this conversation of entrepreneurship and, and entrepreneurs in a very specific category, um, the ones of us who had to reinvent our life um, because there was a plot twist going on or, or you know, I am definitely one of, of the ones who had to reinvent my life um, in my late 30s, early 40s. And so, you know, when you have to do that in life, I think everybody can relate to this. You have to ask yourself, who are you really? Is it what you do? The work that I do right now is work that I've been doing ever since I was a teenager. It's just that I created a way to make it my my uh, business. And I wouldn't have done that unless I had a few plot twists of my own later on in life. But, you know, for a long time, I was a very average, all-American, suburban housewife and mother. I got married very young. I was emancipated uh, as a teenager. So my life got started pretty early. Um, And I really thought that this was going to be my life. You know, I had no college education. I had no career track. And I was really happy being a wife and mother. Um... But in my mid-30s, quite unexpectedly, I was looking at uh, a divorce situation and really had to reinvent everything. And that's when, um, and I'll share more in depth um, as we talk, but 
I decided that I was going to do the thing that I always loved, which was to write and to be uh, a stand for people to come out of heartbreak or loss or setback. So that's what I'm doing now, full time with my my life, you know, along with raising three kids. I write full time and I run my own consultancy here in Southern California and in New York City. Yeah, there's a lot in there that I would love to dig deeper on. The word that you kept using is exactly why I wanted to have you on the show, which is about reinvention. You know, the theme of the show is really authenticity and reinvention. And in many cases, those are situations where people hit some sort of crisis in their life. And it sounds like, you know, that's consistent for you, that you had something unexpected happen in your life, and then it forced you to sort of reinvent who you were and and dig a little deeper and figure out who is Stephanie and what do I love and what do I want to spend my time doing? Yeah, exactly. And you know, like if we can just be frank, it usually comes down to health or money. There's a crisis, either you're you you've had a near death experience or a disease experience or you've run out of money or something just changed drastically that that stripped you of any of um your pretense. And I think that's when we get down to authenticity. Because when you have nothing to lose and everything to gain, that is usually the threshing floor upon which a lot of us say, well, then what do I want to do? How do I want to spend my time? Um, and in doing that process, I, I discovered that, you know, the new currency is really living an interesting life. It's not having these other things, you know, like say, how, like, so we, my husband, my ex-husband and I owned a house in Southern California and you know, we had a suburban and I drove the kids to soccer and it was a very safe and stable life and quite lovely. But when I was taken out of those roles, as, you know, wife or, you know, non-working mother, I had to say, you know, what am I made of? And so when I work with people now or talk to my readers, um, that's really kind of the crisis point that actually turns into the most beautiful, blooming flower for most people because the thing that is your worst case scenario turns out to be the star in your po- your pocket you get to really rediscover and there's a great freedom in that absolutely i'm right there with you on all of those things and you know particularly as you were saying that the fact that there is oftentimes this crisis point and it oftentimes it's money or health it's an unexpected death in the family it's the loss of a job it's a divorce it's some sort of radical change in our life situation that really forces us to sit back and think about what what it is what is life all about what do we care about and as you said oftentimes it's that thing that is the hardest the thing that we fear most that ends up being the biggest blessing in our lives it's really true. Yeah. And and when any of us look back in our life, too, I think that you can see how you stepped out your progress. And so I always want to endorse that, that it's OK to take baby steps. You know, um, there's a message out there, I think, that's really wonderful um, that goes something like, you know, do whatever you want to do or you can be whatever you want to be. But I think the pendulum has to swing into balance with that, which is what is it that you desire to do? And you don't have to do it all. So, for instance, when I came out of my divorce, I was 36. My kiddos were early teenage years. And what I tried to reinvent in my life was how to be somebody's partner again, because that's really all I knew. I knew how to be the best darn lasagna baker and, um, you know, PTA mother and all of that. So because that was sort of the, the template that I had, 
Um, I got into some relationships and, you know, everything I, you know, we always say bless the broken road. So even though those relationships didn't work out, they were really um, perfect for my growth. But again, I couldn't see that I could ever own a business. I just thought I will make somebody else's wonderful partner and wife and possibly a stepmother to their children. And um, I got engaged about three years after my divorce to my childhood sweetheart. And um, it was one of those whirlwind romances where, you know, the new partner was everything that the ex wasn't and on both sides. Um, But unfortunately, that engagement ended quite near uh, the wedding. And I also worked for his company. So again, I had another crisis point of having to start over because after I broke up, with um, with my fiance, I had no job, I had no income, I still had no college degree and no career path. And that was the moment I decided, what am I really going to do if I want to really reinvent myself? And so, um, yeah, it was 2008. I'm sure, Andy, you hear these 2008 stories all the time. But as you remember, nobody was hiring. So I couldn't even get a basic office job. I couldn't get a job at the grocery store. I was putting my groceries on credit cards. I was mailing my mortgage check with a credit card number. Um, It was a terrifying time. And it was from that bottom that I was really open to the world and the universe working with me to create something that I could have never imagined for myself. Isn't it interesting, too, how the similar situations come back up again? Mm-hmm. It's like until we really sort of get that lesson. It, it's interesting that after your divorce, you so quickly found yourself back in a similar kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much good work out there. I would say Werner Erhard is one of the most profound teachers of our time. And basically, he he taught me just through um, going through some of his programs and reading some of his work that, you know, we're always trying to drag our past into our present and our future and recreate. Um, Another wonderful person is Dr. Joe Dispenza, and he's a neuroscientist, and he works with people on how to create something from nothing. So training your mind to see what's possible, not based on your, your past or your roles or what you know. And so um, when I was basically stripped of everything that I knew, I became quite daring, I have to say. And I put my resume out to every state in the union, I think, except for Alaska and Alabama, and maybe only because they didn't have postings on Craigslist that day. I don't know. But I got a call from New York to to interview, and um, I jumped on a plane the next week. And I ended up taking a desk job in New York City. I didn't know a soul. Um, my bank account was near zero. So it was through that process though, that I really clung onto the kindness of strangers and onto my own principles of who I was. And in working for a PR firm, I really just just decided that I don't want to do this. Like I really want to find a way to write and to counsel. And that's how I began my journey. But again, it's, it's for anybody listening out there that, that is at that place where they have something that they maybe voice been passionate about, but they just don't know how they're going to make money doing it. I encourage you just to start reading and figuring out how to make it happen. Cause that's really where your not only your financial security w- will come from, um, but your emotional security. And so when you are doing what we want, um, life stops looking like 
trying to keep nine plates in the air and it becomes one congruent life where all parts are working together and it takes a lot less effort to keep that one plate you know rolling over your head because you're actually in your bliss and you're actually aligned and authentic with what you were born and made to do I think it's really true. You know, it can be really daunting to feel like we have all these plates to keep in the air. But the reality is that the more we get them aligned, the easier it really is to balance all of those things. Yes, yes, it is. And you become a really good, um, you become an expert at saying no. So, and that's hard for a lot of us because we feel very obligated or we feel that we need to come from sacrifice. So during that time, I started writing down, um, you know, I was waiting tables, I was going to school, I was working this desk job. And I started writing down rules for myself to kind of keep me balanced. And one of them that kind of came to me that surprised me was to never do anything from obligation or sacrifice, but only ever from inspiration. And it kind of stumped me, to be honest, Andy, because I thought, you know, who, who am I if I'm not doing things because I should or I ought to or somebody needs me? And it really rattled me and I started experimenting with it. And then I realized that the more I said no to those requests, the bigger my yes was to other things. And that's when life really started getting traction and really started clicking into gear. That's a fantastic point. Absolutely. Let's talk, Stephanie, maybe a little bit about some of your early story, uh, sort of set up how you got to this place in your life. You said that you grew up quickly. Yeah, I did. So Um, I was a kid that was born into a family where my mom and dad weren't married and my mother already had three other kids and she had me and it was too much for her. So she, um, she gave me up for adoption and there's like some kind of mystery around like how that transpired, like how long was I up for adoption? I don't remember because I was just a baby, but Eventually, I was adopted into a family um, who raised me, and I was there until I was 16, and then I was emancipated in high school, and, um, you know, I share that because there's a lot of people out there that have similar stories where it, it, it's like some people might feel sad about that or bad because their life experience was different, but there's a, there's a group of us that were just kind of born ready. And it's sort of a philosophical or spiritual viewpoint that I have that I really came into this world choosing, choosing this kind of setup for myself so that I could fulfill on my soul contract. So um, if I was going to play around with that a little bit, I would share with you that um, putting some of the puzzle pieces of my life together, I'm discovering that part of my soul contract was to know and to be love and to know connection in this world. So to be a connector of other people and to also know and enjoy um, this thing called love. And so the the early years of my life, um, I created contrast of those things. And, and that's okay because at a young age, I learned how to navigate those things without it breaking me. So in high school, I had a couple jobs. I worked at McDonald's. I worked at Disneyland because I grew up in Southern California. And I rented my first apartment when I was 17 years old and started working. I knew and I had a vision that I was going to be a mother. Um, I knew that I was going, I was born to be a partner. And I got to enjoy that life for 16 years from the time I was 18 until I was 36. So actually near 18 years there. 
And um, in my 20s, while all the rest of my peers were going to college and partying and, you know, figuring out relationships and that kind of thing, I was learning through the catalyst of marriage and motherhood. Um, I started my first business when I was 23 years old, which was the same year I became a mother and learned a lot about relationship just through being married and and, um, also just the expansion of being a parent, as you know, a father of three boys there's this principle that you have to learn. And some of us learn it through parenthood. Some of us learn it through having a really busy, demanding career. But you you learn how to not live just for yourself. And so my 20s were really about that. It was how do I create a home and happiness and sanctuary for four other people besides myself? And it was a great, you know, great master's degree, I would say. Absolutely. That's a a huge way to get thrown into the proverbial fire that requires, I think, a remarkable wisdom for someone at that stage of life. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it's so funny emerging out of that in my 30s um, and getting into my first relationships. Some of my ideas about how it should work um, were really quite hilarious because, you know, my growth was stunted in that area. So I basically, you know, had a couple of boyfriends in high school and then met my my, my husband at 18 and was married by 20. And so when I had to date and navigate relationships and all of that, I was, it was like an, I was like an 18 year old girl in some ways, but I did have a lot of wisdom just from being a wife and mother and also going through the pain of divorce. And anybody who's gone through that, where you've had to see the, the, the um, deconstruction of your most primary relationship and work through that and have all those nights where you're on the couch till 2 a.m. and you're both crying and you're going to counseling and, and all of the, the dramatic deep stuff that comes with that, um, it grows you up. So um, I can honestly say I'm really happy that I front loaded the work. Uh, my kids are now almost grown. I'm 10 years post-divorce. I'm having the time of my life and I get, you know, I get to discover so much of, of myself now. And, um, and one of the principles I took on right when I turned, it was, I was near 40 years old is I took on the context of living agelessly. So not relating to myself as an age, but just relating to myself as alive today, today I'm alive. And so I don't have any of the trappings of, you know, I'm a 40, I'm almost 46 years old. Uh, I don't have any of these, I should be doing this or I should be doing that because I'm 46 or I can't do this because now I'm older or whatever. Um, I wake up every day like it's Christmas morning and ready to discover. And I think that because my life was set up with being a mother so young and going through all of that stuff that now I have the freedom to do that. I love that perspective. That's that's beautiful to embrace life for what it is rather than um, you know, we, we live so many scripts in our lives, and I think that putting layers of age on top of that is just another way of doing that. So what that you're 46? You're this collection of interesting human experiences that brings you to where you are today. Mm, yeah, thank you. Thank you. And it's funny, there was a little resistance because um, there was a, some things I had to do in my 40s that I never thought I would have to do, especially being married for so young, for, for so long um, and having some of those like normal American life things like a house and, and cars that are paid for and a garden and all of those things. I never thought that when I turned 42, I would be going to, you know, bartending school and bartending um, in New York City 
or that I was going to be working at Trader Joe's when I'm 43 because I was trying to grow my business and I needed the extra income. I never saw myself doing those things. And if I had related to myself as an age, it would have really slowed me down or made me feel that I couldn't do those things or I wasn't good enough or that I was out of my league somehow. So I had to completely leave that at the door and just have fun. And, um, you know, so far that has worked really well for me. One of the things that you mentioned when you were telling your story, I guess going along with the theme of agelessness, was the same year you became a mother, you started a business. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Like what what was your motivation for starting the business and what did you learn from that process, particularly coupled with becoming a new mom? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. Um, and and I looked back on that when I started this business um, at, at blissbomb.com, I I remembered how it was that I was making good money back then. So the setup then was that I was a mom um, and my husband was the breadwinner and my job was to run the household, you know, take care of my husband and my child. But I loved writing, I loved script and I loved paper. Like that was a true love. Like I was the kid when I was, you know, in fourth grade getting busted because I was drawing and doodling along the sides of my, my liked paper and making stationery out of everything. So I had this love of paper and I decided to, to start an invitation company and it was the early nineties. And I, I saved up my, um, some, uh, some of our family budget and I bought this beast of a, a laser printer. I think it was like $5,000 or something ridiculous. And I started designing and printing invitations for people who are getting married or having babies. And it was so easy. That business was so easy. And it was because I really came from a place of play and creation and we don't need this money. So fast forward to when I really did need to start a business because I really did need to provide a roof over my head. That was the, that was the access point for me to turn my business into um, a much more self-sustaining, profitable business was I came from a space of play. And that's why any entrepreneur who's gone through this, this place where they've started a business and they're running out of money and they're panicking and they're thinking, I don't want to get a second job because that means that I'm dividing my focus and all that. When you do have that income coming in, you really don't need to make your business work and you can really come in from a place of play. At least that's the spirit. So I did that for four years when I was 23 to 27, and then I got pregnant with twins, and I sold my business for a profit. Um, but that whole business was was created because I just loved the people, and I loved paper, and I loved people's joyful um, events in their life, and it made money because of that. So what advice do you take from that, or what, what lessons do you take from that, and how does that translate into advice that you give to people you work with? So anytime, you know, I start getting angsty or knotted up about um, production goals or bottom line or how much something costs because I invested, let's say, in advertising that didn't really pan out or et cetera, I remember to go back to play, to remember that I write and I counsel because I love people and I would do it for free if I had to. Um, so if I won the lotto tomorrow... I would fully intend on running my business because I love it so much. And when I get back into that vibration, all of a sudden there's new customers, there's new opportunities. Um, it's kind of a funny thing how it works. Uh, that's great advice. We need to love what we do. We need to, I think, approach it with that spirit of play. Life's too short to do otherwise, I think. 
It is. It is. And you know, too, I want to offer a balance to that also. One of the turning points for me, too, when I was getting this lesson and I was remembering about my first business and how much I loved it and how easy it was to make money with it was that I realized that my attitude toward my my now business was that of kind of a slave or a jilted girlfriend. So I actually did this this kind of funky meditation one day where I was just I had it. Andy. And I was like, listen to my business. I'm like, if you were my boyfriend, I would be breaking up with you because I am working my ass off and you're not bringing in, you know, what I really need so that we can both work together. And so I kind of got to this place of fed up and frustration um, and said, you know, basically I'm only going to be in this business relationship if it's going to be fun for me. And if I'm going to get something from it. And I think you have to kind of be a stand for yourself that way. And that's when everything kind of switched when I realized that I don't have to work 15 hour days, seven days a week and answer emails at midnight. Like that's ridiculous. I would never put up with that if that was a relationship or a person in my life demanding that of me. Why do I feel like I have to? Because if I don't, I'm going to go under. So it's kind of a, a balance there, you know, get to the play and the fun, but also demand that your business serve you and meet your needs also. And then, you know, be, be the cool partner, you know, only answer emails during certain hours and have a life outside of your work. Um, love your life, be in love with your life, be in love with the people and invest in your relationships. I love that analogy. Thanks for sharing that. Sure. So with all of this interesting journey that you've taken and the personal reinvention you've done along the way, what are you up to now? Yeah, so I'm basically in in the home stretch with my kiddos. My son is 22, and he's a grown man and doing his thing um, when we're quite close. Uh, my daughters are seniors in high school, and they're going to be finishing up um, their you know their academic career for high school next spring. And after that, the girls and I are going to be moving back to New York City. They really want to attend Hunter College. And my plan is to always kind of ricochet between coasts. So to have a place in New York City, have a place in California, I definitely want to write more. And I'm designing a program um, that kind of puts together uh, that list that I was sharing with you that I started writing, I mean, kind of my 21 philosophies of personal sovereignty. So I'm working on that now, and I will be launching uh, a program for that next spring, probably sometime around anywhere between January and March. And um, I'm really looking forward to speaking more and teaching more. So right now, I've got a full slate of uh, one-on-one clients I get to spend time with. Um, and so I just continue to expand and grow, but to do it with um, you know some balance and loving my life. 21 Principles of Personal Sovereignty. That sounds pretty compelling and interesting. (laughs) Thank you. Well, it's for anybody who has a high value around spaciousness, choice, and sovereignty in their own life and what that can mean for them. Um, And to live life in the context of contribution, Um, but play, play and enjoyment. So yeah, I'm designing that now and I'm really, really exciting. This is the biggest product or or project that I've ever created and worked on. So yeah, I'm really excited about it. Well, please do keep us up to date with what's going on with that. I'd love to share information about that as you have it. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. 
So Stephanie, the whole purpose of, of this project and this show, A Congruent Life, is really about authenticity and reinvention. We've been talking a lot about reinvention. Let's maybe talk a little bit specifically about authenticity. What does living authentically or congruently, if you prefer, mean to you? Yeah, it's it's simple. It's that my yes is yes and my no is no. And everything that I get to play with in between um, feels like a natural expression of love and joy. So, you know, requests that are made of me, um, I always want to be a yes. And so in my life, what I work on is to stay in inspiration and to stay a big yes to life. And so in my own journey of finding authenticity, it meant that I had to say no to things that didn't matter, um, get all of my sleep, you know, all the things that we hear about, you know, eating well, exercising my body, keeping my mind sharp, reading. I'm a voracious reader. I read about three or four hours a day and sometimes get up at 4.30 in the morning so that I can do that. Um, So being authentic means having spaciousness in my life so that I can be a yes and do things out of love. And when you're working with your clients, what kind of advice do you give them about living more authentically? You know, I th- I think that we live in this great time where this conversation, most people are familiar with it. And I think that this conversation came about because anybody who lived through the 70s, 80s, and the 90s were doing a lot of things to get things. So this principle of doing something to get something worked for a, lot, a long time, especially in our country, in the United States of America. Um, and our parents were taught this way. But when we started seeing adrenal fatigue and burnout, and especially when we went through this crisis in 2008 financially and people had to examine, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to do the old model of transactionary living or am I going to be uh, live my life as, um, you know, a possibility, let's say, of love or creation or magic? The, the advice that I give them is, do things, do your life the way that you want to, but with an eye to contribution. So like, how can you show up for people as love without burning yourself out? And a lot of that has to do with them taking care of themselves. Um, And so that's usually the advice they ask is like, exactly how do you do that? So we work with their, a model of um, their production and their time management, what they're doing with their money, Um, what they're doing with their conversations and their communication. And it gets really basic when you get very aligned with the fact that you don't have to, you know, beat yourself up or to strive to have a really happy life. And people are more than happy to give up that old model. I love the way you expressed it early in our conversation about saying that living an interesting life is a new sort of currency in the world. Yeah, it is. You know, look at how many people are traveling now. Look at how many um, like location independent entrepreneurs we have. And we live in this marvelous time where that is possible. So, uh, you know, and there's a lot of good mentors out there. There's tons and tons of reading on how people can do this. And we live in this most incredible, magical, you know, onset of the golden age. Um But instead of like in the 60s and 70s, where you saw a lot of revolts happening, um, where people were pushing against war, were pushing against, um, let's say, women's rights were all about putting, you know, making women more powerful and maybe putting men down, you know, standing against war. 
now we're in, a, in such a space where we're taking our energy and the things that we really stand for, we're creating new modalities of living. So sustainable living, um, green, you, I'm sure you see a lot of that up in Oregon, you know, people that are really um, loving the earth and taking care of it. So instead of being a stand against something, we're, we're learning how to be a stand for something. And it's really opening up life for a lot of people. How can our listeners engage with you, Stephanie, find out what you're up to and connect with you? Yeah, sure. So they can just go to my website, blissbombed.com. And all of my links, all my social media stuff is there. They can sign up for, um, I send out a little e-letter to kind of just talk about what's happening. And I hang out every single day in my cubicle on Facebook (laughs) every day. Cubicle on Facebook. Fantastic. (laughs) My cubicle in the sky. Yeah. Awesome. Is there a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with about authenticity? You know, I think keep following your inner guidance and keep turning to yourself. And if you, if you, if you could even start a 10 minute meditation practice, whether that's walking in your neighborhood in the morning or sitting and, and just being quiet, give yourself that gift because that's, what's really going to make your life hum. So it doesn't mean that you have to do any certain practice. Um, I teach a certain practice in a a class that I run called uh, the seven miracles project, but there's a lot of people doing great work. Deepak Chopra, again, Dr. Joe Dispenza, um, tune into some of these wonderful teachers and people that are actually doing the work and get yourself, you know, aligned with that and start listening to where your heart sings. And then the one question that I ask myself from time to time, and usually I get a different answer is what do I want my legacy to be? And what would someone who loves themselves do? And then just listen, be quiet and listen. And your heart will always have the answer to that question. Well, Stephanie St. Clair, you have a fantastic story of personal reinvention. Thanks so much for sharing that with us today. And thanks for taking the time to chat on Congruent Life. Thank you, Andy. It's been a pleasure. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Stephanie St. Clair. The show notes for this episode are at acongruentlife.net slash 56 or acongruentlife.net slash St. Clair which is spelled S-T-C-L-A-I-R-E. I really appreciate your continued support of the show. It's really gratifying that you're finding these conversations inspiring and supportive. Big thanks to those of you who have left reviews of Acongruent Life recently, including D. Watt, Jim Duane, Cole Hatter, and Matt McWilliams, who says, Acongruent Life has become a must-listen podcast for me. Very impressed, Andy. Keep bringing it. Thanks a lot, Matt. I'll do my best to keep bringing it. That's a really helpful way to support the show. If you would, like these folks did, please take a quick moment to leave a review for the show at acongruentlife.net slash iTunes or acongruentlife.net slash Stitcher. Thanks so much. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Acongruent Life. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for being here and listening to the show and sending along those supportive words. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Acongruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at a congruent life.net. See you next time.